This is Ivarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. If you've been listening to this show for any period of time, you'll recognize that there's a real diversity that exists here on this show. There are photojournalists, there are portrait photographers, there are nature and wildlife photographers, there are people who shoot film, some who shoot digitally, there are people who shoot Canon or Nikon or Olympus. Regardless of the differences that may exist between all these different photographers, they have a lot of things in common. And beyond their their shared passion for photography, I think the one thing that links them all is is a consistent commitment to keep their promises to themselves. And by that, I mean not just a, a promise to go out and shoot with any regularity. It's also about keeping the promise to say, I am going to commit to this thing. I'm not just going to pick up a camera every three or four months. I'm going to make the effort to create images as much as possible. That the time I'm going to be researching and dedicating is not just going to be reading about the latest piece of equipment, but learning how to see, learning how to refine my vision so that I can make the best image possible. And today's guest, Robert Rodriguez Jr. is, is a shining example of that. He's a photographer who's largely self-taught and who's created a, a wonderful professional career for himself as a landscape and in nature photographer. And his story, I think, is a, is a good example, regardless of whether or not you practice this genre of photography, to understand what it means to be able to really make a creative life for yourself, not by depending on what other people think about you or your work, but by just saying, this thing, this thing that I, I, I'm so passionate about, that I love so much, this is what I want to make my life about. Well, Robert is a, is a wonderful example to learn just how one person does it, and whether or not you follow his path exactly, I think there's a lot to take away from this man's personal journey. Robert, welcome to the Candid Frame. Thanks, Everings. It's uh, it's a pleasure and uh, and an honor to be here for sure. I uh, just had a chance to read your ebook, and there was one quote in there that I thought would be a great place to start off with. And uh, it's in your section called Failure and Success. And you wrote that approval is not necessarily what we want as photographers. What we want is an emotional response, something that shows who you are and not what you saw. And I thought that, that that's really very, very poignant. And I think it's one of the bigger challenges that most photographers have in terms of moving away from just being documentarians of what's in front of the camera and being more interpreters. Let's start about that. Let's talk about what your journey was to be able to get to that awareness and to successfully translate that awareness into, into photographs. Yeah, sure. Um, well, you know, that takes me a ways back to how I got started in photography and actually how I got started as kind of a creative person. My background, of course, is uh, music. I went to school for music, graduated from the Berkeley College of Music, gee, back in 1980, uh, back in 1990. And so when I, I did that for about 10 years and when I transitioned to photography, um, I never felt that it was, you know, ending one thing and, and starting on another. I, I felt that it was kind of a continuation of, of being an artist. And I tell people now in reference to your question uh, that that helped me to be a better photographer because one of the things that I learned as a musician was that it was about 
uh, trying to say something. It was about trying to bring an interpretation of a piece of music or a jazz standard or, or whatever it was that had been played or had been done by uh, other musicians many, many, many times. And I wondered, well, you know, why am I playing these standards? What can I bring to the table? You know, why do I need to do this again? But that's when I learned that, no, each one of us has the potential to have a, a unique and creative voice. The fact that we all have our distinct perspectives uh, means that we can be creative. We ha Each of us has a different way of seeing the world. And so I brought that across to my photography and uh, I decided right at the beginning that I wasn't going to worry so much about what people thought about my work. Not that that doesn't mean I don't want feedback, uh, constructive feedback in terms of my technique or or how I'm, uh, whether I'm being successful in conveying what I'm trying to say, but I wasn't going to worry so much about uh, what people thought in terms of the subject matter or my approach. And so that was very helpful for me, starting with that kind of confidence and saying, okay, this is what I want to do, but I already, I've learned from the past that listening to other criticism or, you know, popular ideas is not necessarily the best way to go. And so I, in my own work and when I teach now, I, I very, very much am focused on getting students and, and myself to to bring across what we feel and what we think. I think people these days are very much afraid to be themselves and to just be honest and authentic and say what's on their mind or photograph what they're interested in. And without that passion, then I think the work is always going to have some hollowness to it that is sometimes easy to be seen and also doesn't really help you to grow, I believe. Tell me about your, your music background. What instrument did you play and what what was your area that you, you uh, what was the type of music that you preferred? Was it jazz? Was it classical? Was it? Yeah, well, I was a improvisational guy from day one. So absolutely jazz. You know, the idea of improvising on the fly and just sort of going with the flow and getting, uh, you know, that uh, that feedback from musicians around you, that collaboration, that sort of electricity that you get when you're doing something in the moment. Very similar to, of course, nature and landscape photography when you're responding to things that um, are happening around you. Uh, that was what I, I loved from uh, from the very beginning. So, yeah, I, I grew up uh, listening to jazz. Uh, my dad always had jazz on, whether it was um, – you know, George Benson or Miles Davis or John Coltrane or Weather Report. There was always uh, some jazz playing. And um, and I just that that was what I was attracted to, you know, most attracted to. I originally started out at playing some guitar and then I got into bass and drums. The rhythm section really called my attention. So I did a lot of drums. And then eventually when I went to school, I kind of uh, focused in on, on bass because I felt that that was sort of the foundation to kind of held a whole musical piece together. And, um, mm. and so that's what I went to Berkeley for. Interestingly enough, I've always also been a geek since, <laughs> since my younger days. Um, <laughs> I remember having, uh, and, you know, again, I credit that to my dad, when I was 13 or 14, I asked my dad for an Atari 520ST. I think the computer was at the time, or maybe it was a VIC-20 Commodore. Um, but I asked for one. I saw one in a magazine, and lo and behold, he, he, uh, he you know, we, we got one. And that was great because it also opened me up to that whole side uh, of, what, of what was going on at the time, which is, you know, computers and digital technology and, and et cetera. And when I got into music, um, that was also when uh, we were transitioning from analog recording to digital technology. And so I was very much involved in that, in that transition and very much adopted that right away. Um, when I graduated from school, um, I tried performing and playing and doing gigs, but I quickly realized that that particular lifestyle 
wasn't ideal for me. And I very much liked the idea of working behind the scenes and also kind of putting things together, taking different ideas and sounds and musicians and kind of working with them. So I moved towards doing more arranging and producing. And of course, with digital technology that allows you to do much more on your own, kind of the, the idea of the desktop studio, that's what I gravitated towards. And I did that for many, many, many years. Yeah. I always think that one of the best places to come from, if you're interested in photography, is from the experience of a musician. Because musicians, particularly jazz musicians, understand the ideas of not only sort of practice, but also taking risks, taking chances about that every time you bring that instrument into your hand or, or to your mouth, that not to expect perfection, that the, the, the mistakes and all of the struggles that you have are all part of that process. And I think that's really translates really wonderfully when it comes to picking up a camera. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Especially as a jazz musician where you do, where you never know what you're going to play any particular in any particular performance. And many, many times you go down a road that maybe you're not so comfortable with and it, it kind of forces you to push and to discover new things, uh, whether it's, you know, new things with technique or new things with uh, what you're trying to say, with melodic ideas, with rhythm, with whatever. I think that's a, a really, uh, for me, it was a, a foundational thing that has helped me a great deal with uh, nature and landscape photography now, whether it's being patient, whether it's allowing the moment to sort of evolve and see where it goes instead of trying to to define it from the beginning. These are all things that can be applied to both jazz music and to uh, nature photography. So often we set out with a preconceived idea of what we want to do or what we want to say, what we want to play, what the song is going to sound like, how the audience is going to respond. And it turns out to be a totally different way. And I think that's part of the excitement for me anyway, part of the excitement of, of doing these, these types of creative tasks that inherently have a lot of risk, but uh, have a lot of reward. And we know how those two things play out uh, in life. Yeah. So tell me about the transition from music to photography, particularly nature photography. How did that happen for you? Well, um, again, lots of different things that sort of had their seed when I was very young came to fruit later on. As a kid, I grew up in New York City in the Bronx. And, and so anytime that we got to uh, get out uh, into the woods, into nature was was a kind of a fantastic experience for me. It was kind of like a whole new world. And so I remember our first camping trip, I just fell in love with nature and, and with everything that I felt there. And that kind of stayed with me as a kid. And then, you know, you go through life. Later on in in my music career, I was finding myself uh, working more and more in the studio, uh, do, doing more corporate and commercial jobs where I was really helping others see their creative vision and not my own. And I was feeling more of that void of, gee, I really want to do something that speaks to what I am about, but I'm it's harder to do. And so I started to get to a point where I started to get a little frustrated, a little burnt out. I started to feel as though uh, I, I wasn't really going the direction, the path that I wanted to go in. And in the, I would say, early 90s, I took a trip out to the Grand Canyon just to kind of get away. And, and boom, it was like a flash. Everything came together for me. I said, wow, this is this is really where I want to be. And this is where I feel most alive. And also at that time was kind of the beginning of digital photography. And so I said, well, let me start playing with this, experiment with this. I can kind of do it as a way to, to again, fill that void that I had. And slowly but surely, I started to move away from the music and more towards the photography. And, and it, it kind of all came together. Of course, this process took a couple of years. It wasn't overnight by any stretch. 
And, and then, you know, slowly I decided that, hey, you know what, this is something that I'm really going to pursue. I think it brings together all of the things that have been important to me throughout my life. Improvisation, conveying how I feel, nature. And again, I can use all of the things that I've learned in music visually. So we talk about composition, we talk about rhythm, we talk about tonality. All those things can be applied to both. And yes, I had to learn a new craft, new techniques, but the underlying ideas and concepts, and again, as we spoke about at the beginning, the confidence to say, no, I'm, gonna, I'm going to be confident in, ex- in expressing what I feel and what I think and, and hope that I do have something to say. All those things kind of came together. And, you know, this was later in life. So I think I was much, much better prepared to tackle this uh, endeavor at the time that I did. You wrote in a blog entry about rules that you were grateful that you didn't know all the the rules that apply to photography Mm -hmm. in the beginning because you weren't Mm -hmm. hampered by them and that that sort of didn't limit you. But rules are important in terms of being able to be consistent with photography. So let's talk about that because you didn't didn't have a particularly formal training as a photographer. You sort of found your own way. But talk about the freedom you felt that you had initially by not being burdened by rules, but how at some point they did become Sure. Well, I think one of the beautiful things about photography and about being creative in general is that, again, we're talking about expressing your viewpoint about something, how you feel about something. And so the rules are kind of like a scaffold. You know, they help us to use a language, photography being a language, and understand that language and, and learn the grammar, learn the vocabulary, et cetera. And so that's very important to understand. And that was something that I focused on at the very beginning. If I'm going to communicate, I have to learn the language. Otherwise, there's going to be a barrier here. But I quickly also realized that within that, you know, within that scaffold, that there, there was a way to go beyond that and not allow, not allow a lot of the rules that are propagated online and propagated in books to sort of get in the way. And because I didn't have that formal training, they weren't kind of drilled into me the way a lot of the musical rules were in school and et cetera. And so I think that freed me up a bit. It gave me less of that sense of, of trying to put things into a, into a square or a box, as it were, and just kind of experiment and have fun. And of course, slowly I started to see, okay, I'm making mistakes. I'm, I'm failing here. I'm failing there. Maybe I need to apply this rule or that rule to see how it can get me back on track in terms of what I'm trying to do. But ultimately, I think that it's just a language and, you know, the same 12 keys on the keyboard, for example, can be used in a multitude of limitless you know, ways to, to make a statement. Those may or may not be within sort of the rules that we've defined. And we've seen many, many artists over the years, as I mentioned in the blog post, that have fought and gone outside of the rules. And now they've, you know, they're, they're, they're seen as, uh, as, as artists that broke the mold or whatever, whether it was in the 1500s or the 1900s or, or even now. So I think it's always important to, when you're starting out, to have that scaffold, but then not to let them become ingrained or sort of something that keeps you seeing a certain way and you don't even realize that you're always approaching a landscape or a composition the same way. I think you should always think about how you're, you're going through the process. Can you give me an example of one of the rules that you see many of your students sort of adhering to that sort of stagnates or hampers their ability to be be creative? Is there something that you consistently see? 
Yeah, I mean, there, there, you know, there, there are rules and 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 habits. You know, certain rules and habits that I see that they do all the time, uh, that they do uh, frequently. You know, for example, we always hear about in landscape photography about using a tripod, and you should always use a tripod because for the obvious reasons, shutter speed and sharp focus and all those things. But on the other hand, a tripod kind of limits us in the, in the sense of that we're usually set up the tripod the same way. And so maybe the student's always setting up the tripod at eye level. And I'm always saying, you know, the tripod is great as a tool, but don't let it limit what you're initially seeing. Take the camera off the tripod and move the camera around. Get on your hands and knees, get on your stomach, get on your, you know, try all different perspectives. And then when you find the composition or something that excites your interest to you, then you can go ahead and move the tripod and get it into that position. So that would be an example of, you know, a particular technique. You know, other rules that I see often outside of the obvious ones, like the rule of thirds, there's the one where the, you know, uh, you never split an image in half, always try to use a third. And I, that's something that I uh, particularly like to do. I like to uh, put a horizon in the middle of the frame versus on the top third or the lower third. Of course, I don't do it just to do it. There has to be a specific composition that it works with, but there's nothing wrong with it if you have interesting uh, subject matter, both above or below that, you know, where you're splitting it. So that's another example of, of a rule. Um, you know, there's so many different rules with sharing your work, you know, don't give your work away, you know, don't charge too little, don't charge too much. There's so many different rules that I think we hear. And yet uh, some of the best rewards that I have uh, received have been through being generous with my work. Of course, being careful about who you're sharing and who you're being generous with, but sharing my work with organizations or other people that I think had a good cause to, to, to use the work, have a good reason to use the work, or, or you believe in what they're doing. I think it's a great way not only to get your work seen and get your work, ex, uh, get exposure, but also to receive some rewards and to feel like you're doing something meaningful beyond just, you know, capturing nice landscapes for yourself and for your friends. Yeah. One of the things I liked about your, your ebook was that you included several images in there that fell short of the mark. You explained why it was, and I thought that was really generous of you to do because many photographers just right. want to show their best work, and right. that, that's it. You set a good example in terms of the fact that you can go out there and you can shoot, and you may not be able to get the shot that you want, but that doesn't mean that the entire experience of being out there was, was a wash. And I think it's probably one of the more challenging things, especially early on. How did you deal with that sort of frustration? Did your background in music sort of assuage that? Or did you find that you still had to struggle with trying to get the camera to behave in the way that you wanted it to? Yeah, I think, uh, interestingly enough, I could have filled the whole book with, you know, with failures, uh, <laughs> with, uh, with shots that didn't work. It, the challenge was, for me, actually, the challenge was, finding the images that I wanted to put in the book that were images that I, that I thought were my best because I, I had set, I set a very high bar, a very high standard for images that I choose as part of my portfolio or, or images that I, I say are, are my best, whatever that means. I think for me, it's, it's, it's the approach that I take. I, I'm not necessarily, when I go out on a shoot, when I go out into the field, when I go out on a hike, when I go out on a photo trip, I'm not necessarily thinking in terms of a specific number of images or even making images in general. I find that the images that are successful for me are the images where I feel the most inspired or I feel the most connected to nature or I feel, I just feel like I'm in a zone as it were, kind of like the way you hear th athletes talk about that. And so if 
I can find a moment that way, whether it's because the light is creating something that's eliciting a response from me or whether I have just great subject and great conditions that I think are really going to help me create an emotion or a mood or convey something in the image, uh, then I think that's the most important thing. If the image doesn't quite work, for me, it's recognizing the conditions that potentially can create a good image, which is a success. Because so often, you know, of course, we've heard the term uh, spray and pray. It's very, very easy to make a picture. It's very easy to make a snapshot. The, the, the problem that I think a lot of photographers have is uh, not making pictures, but making a statement. And I think in order to make a statement, the conditions have to be right. And that's where I think I try to help photographers find those right conditions, whether it's you know, lining up a particular composition or finding the right elements in nature that are going to allow you to bring that across. And if you're not feeling something about what you're seeing, uh, if you're not moved by something, then it's going to be very hard to make a statement. And so I think my, again, getting back to the music, my background in music allowed me to kind of wait for that moment when you're in the studio and you're working with a musician and you have to, he has to do 10 or 20 or 30 takes, or you have to do five or 10 takes to get the one that feels just right. I think you learn some patience. And I also think that you realize it's part of the process of uh, getting to where you want to be versus getting frustrated or trying at random to make uh, something that works and then hoping that when you get back home and you look at it on screen that, uh, you know, you'll have something that really brings or comes comes across as uh, as meaningful or, or successful. Yeah. People take a look at your work. You, you live and work in, in near the mm -hmm. Hudson Valley and just a gorgeous part of the country where both photographers and painters have just created some amazing bodies of work. But I'm sure that, you know, people who want to do, do this, maybe not professionally, but just want to make better photographs, they struggle with the fact that they don't have that kind of location in their backyard. And so the opportunities for them to go out and shoot may be sort of few and far between. So what's, what's your recommendation for someone like that who may not have the benefit of such a beautiful natural area minutes from their house to be able to sort of develop their skills and not have to wait for every occasional vacation or, or outing in order to improve their skills as a nature, uh, nature photographer? Sure. Well, um, I am very, very fortunate and I'm grateful that uh, I do live in a beautiful part of the country. However, the only thing I would, I would add to that is that as beautiful as the Hudson Valley is, it also happens to be one of the most populated and most developed you know, areas. And so it, it is a challenge to find pristine landscapes. It is a challenge to find nature, at least the appearance of nature that's undisturbed. And let me be clear, I'm not trying to create or convey some illusion of, of that's not based in reality. Uh, it's not a question of, you know, someone asked me recently, um, how do you feel about, you know, conveying landscapes that have this sort of ideal that isn't based in reality? And, I, and I, I, it's quite the opposite for me. I think the opposite for me is that we all know what reality is. The idea is that I'm trying to show uh, the potential. I'm trying to show something that's more positive, that's more, that has something that we can take out of what we see in our day to day experience that sometimes can be, you know, depressing, as it were. So I think for someone that perhaps doesn't have quite the resources, again, one of the things that I try to stress is, and one of the, the things that I see with a lot of, of photographers is that they stress very much location, uh, location of an image. Where was it shot? You know, uh, every time someone sees one of my images, or where was that? Or where would you take it? Or what, what have you? And I think that one of the things is trying to remove the emphasis on location and more the emphasis on, again, conveying something, whether it's uh, something positive or something negative. And so whether you can get to a park, whether you, whether you can get to 
just a piece of nature that's undisturbed, you know, close to where you live. It doesn't have to be a grand landscape. Again, uh, as a landscape photographer, I've been moving more and more towards more intimate landscapes, more smaller abstractions. I don't want to use the word abstract specifically, but, you know, taking a piece of the landscape. And that's another strategy that can be used as well. You know, uh, we can get a great landscape from a flower as we can from a huge scene on a river with mountains in the background. I think it's just a question of finding the right conditions that allow you to convey uh, something special. And so I would say practice, get out as often as you can, even if you're photographing in your own backyard, learning and identifying those things that will make successful images is something you can practice all the time and they will be at your disposal as a photographer, regardless of whether you're in a beautiful national park or whether you're just in your backyard, as it were. And that's that's kind of the approach that I've taken. I mean, even though I'm in the Hudson Valley, I don't get out to national parks as often as I'd like. And many, many times I have to return to the same locations over and over again. And by returning over and over again, it allows me to become more familiar, more intimate, which is something that I use and all of us can use as an advantage. If you know your backyard better than anyone else, you will make better images of of your backyard better than anyone else because you know exactly how it feels and and what it looks like in in all types of light in all types of weather, you know when certain things will happen. And so that's a huge advantage that those who travel to a a national park don't have. Um, So I think you could turn that around and maybe use it as an advantage to make images that, wow, I never saw that before. I never noticed that before. Well, I'm there all the time, so I I, I recognize it faster maybe. Yeah, I think if there's any secret to good landscape and in nature photography is that that idea of returning to a place. And it doesn't mean returning to a place every year. Sometimes it can be returning to a place several times during the course of a stay, you know, because of the the changing of the weather, the tides, the whatever it is. And, oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. No, no, no question. Yeah. And it doesn't, you know, because I think that many people end up going to one location, making a photograph, and it either works or it doesn't work, but they never really think about, maybe I should come back there at a different time to make a photograph. Share about that process for you when when you're visiting a, a location, particularly for the first time when you don't have that familiarity in your belt. Yeah, I, I mean, I've written quite a bit on my blog about familiarity with landscapes as uh, as a way to improve your work and also the, the, the patient part. You know, there are, there are some areas within a mile or two from my home that uh, are particularly conducive to nice landscapes. And I've been there dozens of times. And every time I go to these places, I sometimes I say in the back of my mind, you know, are you going here again? Like, you know, how, how many times are you going to go <laughs> to the same place? As many times as I say that, I wind up going to a location. And when the conditions are just right, I say to myself, wow, this is just a different way of seeing this. I've never seen this before. It could be the hue of light. It could be the the quality of the light. It could be, again, the things that you mentioned, whether it's high tide, low tide, different subject matter, different ways of framing the same composition. I mean, we all know that even if you move your camera 12 inches up or 12 inches down, that can change a perspective. And again, it's not just a perspective that we're trying to change. It's the way that people see what you're seeing and ultimately the way they, you know, the way you're, you're conveying how you feel. And so if you can create different emotions based on the same location, and th- then you're well on your way towards um, making work that really is meaningful and is getting closer to those who we look up as like the iconic figures in landscape photography that um, you look at their work. And, and in my mind, the location or, or where they shot it is 
not even secondary. It's, it's something that may not even come up in my mind. You know, I mean, I have, um, you know, I have, uh, a, you know, Galen Rowell books that I look through all the time. And every once in a while I say, gee, where was it shot at? Because I've seen it 10 times and I've never really asked myself that question. I'm still trying to figure out why it makes me feel the way it does, why it makes me want to just go out into the landscape myself and want to find these moments in time. So familiarity, uh, learning a location, I think is, is really, really critical. And that's why you see a lot of the best work from photographers uh, based around where they live or where they visit or where they frequent often. And they, they're known for these types of locations. I mean, you know, Ansel Adams is, is a perfect example of that for all the work that he's done. And he's done everything from landscapes to, you know, commercial portraiture, but it's his Yosemite work that's best known probably because, you know, he, he, uh, he, he you know, he, as, as where he lived, eat and breathed it all the time, you know. Is there a particular location that you've revisited several times over because you were trying to achieve a particular vision and then it just took you a while to finally nail it or you're still working towards getting it? If so, what location is that and what is it about about it that's that's proved elusive? Yeah, I think I, I think there are yeah, I'm hesitant to use the word, you know, uh, when you, you know, when you mentioned before getting it, like I went to a place, I got the shot and that's it. And I, I don't know, to me that, that seems sort of, there, there's a finality to that, that I'm, that I, that I, I'm not, uh, I don't subscribe to, you know, I think that any location is, it's like saying I came to the piano and I played the 12 notes and I'm done. No, there's always something to discover in any location, regardless of any times you visit. Uh, in my backyard, here is a word in the Hudson Valley. There are a few, you know, there are a few places that I frequent often. There's one particular view from a mountain that overlooks West Point Military Academy looking down towards New York City. You don't really see the city, but you get a beautiful view of the of the Hudson River as it sort of snakes south along the Hudson Highlands and the Appalachian Mountains. And I can experience that view every day. Uh, I just I just love the way I feel there. I love the way the light changes all the time. And so you know, getting a shot that that uh, brought that across took me a while. At least getting one that brought that across took me a while. I, I maybe was after that for a year or two. You know, or trying to get that image that wow, this really this really conveys how I feel. But again, because I can feel many different ways there, I don't feel like I've maximized or I've run out of ideas there. So you know, whenever I can, if I think that you know, for, for example, one of the things with familiarity is sometimes I'll. You know, I'll, I'll be in my yard and I'll, and I'll look up and I'll see certain things happening with weather. I'll look at the weather patterns or I'll look at the weather report and I'll see certain things happening. And I'll say, you know, this is a day that maybe I can go to this particular spot and get something interesting. And so I'll head out and go to that spot. And I may do that, you know, a dozen times in a year, maybe more, maybe less. But recognizing that and being able to respond to that, I think, is uh, is great because eventually I'll get something that I think really, really conveys, you know, my own way of seeing that. And again, someone else may go to the same place and see it differently. That's, I guess, I think the beauty of each of us having our own unique way of seeing something. It doesn't mean that it's, it's a, you know, that it's, uh, it's been done. You know, I've written about iconic landscapes and everybody says, oh, don't go there. It's, it's not worth your time or it's already been done a million times. Well, there's a lot more than a million people on the earth. And I still think there are ways to to convey because we each, again, we each have our own way of seeing and expressing, you know, what's what's on our minds and what's in our hearts. You touched on the, the whole idea of preparation before you get to uh, a location. What are some of the mm -hmm. resources that you use, uh, either in terms of apps or websites, to you know fully prepare for a location that you're going to be going to? 
I love to hike. So a lot of times I look at hiking books and see what they have to say about uh, particular hiking trails in a, in a location and, you know, what the hike is like and, and what the views are like. And then I think from a, from a, a research standpoint, of course, I used to use Google Earth a lot and I still do. I've probably moved more towards uh, using uh, a, a, one particular app called Photographer's Ephemeris, which is available on the iPad and the iPhone. And it gives you a great topographical uh, view of a location. It shows you where the sun's going to rise, where it's going to set, the angle of the sun, sunrise, sunset times. So that is really great. And then ultimately, though, I think it's the footwork. I think it's the work in the, on, the, uh, on the ground that you have to do. And m- many, many times, the first visit, second visit does not generate a successful image. And that's okay. You know, I still enjoy it. It's still exp- exploration. It's still a discovery. And so I think between doing research online, looking at maps, looking at trail maps, and then getting out there, no matter how many times you look at Google Earth, it's not until you hit the ground and actually see it for yourself that you'll get a sense of whether a place is going to work or not. But yeah, I, I do I do a bit of preparation that way, but not a whole lot. I'm, I'm more about being in the place. And if I have to hike out two miles and it turns out to be that it's not as great as I thought it would be, again, that's okay with me as well. Um, you're still learning, you're still discovering. And for me, it's about being in that environment more so than just, oh, you know, what a waste of four miles. I didn't capture anything. I think mm. anytime you're in nature, anytime you're in nature, it's, it's never a waste of time, even if you don't have a camera. You said that photography has been probably one of the most challenging and most difficult things you've ever had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond the obvious challenges of just learning how to do it, what are some of the other things that you found that were, that really sort of challenged you to be able to sustain this creative life that you've created for yourself? Yeah, I think, I think that uh, most of that applies more towards making a living. <laughs> um, I think that's, that's the challenging part. I mean, from the artistic side or from the creative side, the, the most difficult thing I think is staying motivated, staying inspired. Um, I love the book, The Dip by Seth Godin, where he talks about uh, it's so easy for you to get engaged and get excited about any activity at the beginning. It's once you get over the hump, once you get over the honeymoon, as it were, and you go into that dip where now you've gotten over the excitement of that activity, whether it's a sport or a hobby or whatever, and then you find yourself in that area where, gee, now what's going to sustain you now, you know, once you've kind of, okay, you've, you've had some success. So staying inspired and motivated, I think, is, is one of the biggest challenges on the business side or on the making a living side. That's been the most difficult um, because... You know, there's a tremendous amount of competition and the more you, I think the more you, you grow uh, in, in the career, the more you find yourself doing less photography and more of everything else. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, business and, and the management, the administration, the marketing. I mean, you know, when they say you wear many hats, it's no exaggeration. I'm many, 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 many hats. <laughs> and so often throughout my day, I have to go from being a marketer to being a web, you know, web administrator to being a writer to being a speaker to being an instructor to being uh, a negotiator to be, you know, all these different things. And before you know it, it's like, wow, I haven't gotten out with the camera in two weeks or three weeks. Mm. So that's that's a real challenge, trying to keep that balance. And so that's why, like right at the beginning of my book, I talk about kind of a holistic approach, which means I try to incorporate it into my entire life. My, my whole life revolves around this. And so there isn't any part of my life that is not a part of who I am. That doesn't mean that my whole life is about business. It just means that I live what I do. And because of that, 
it makes it much easier for me to to do certain things. You know, my family understands what I do. When I disappear for hours on end, they know where I am and they're not worried about it because they know that I'm doing what I need to do in order to be A, happy and B, you know, a good person to them and a good person towards what we're trying to do together as a family. Printing is a big part of your your process. Uh, I've seen a couple of your, your videos and a couple of your blog entries where you talk about the role of the print in completing your vision. Why is that so important? With so many people viewing images solely on, on the computer screen, why is it important to you to create these physical manifestations of your vision? Well, I think that goes back to music again. When when I started as uh, when I when I when I really started my music career, uh, I wasn't really done until I had or we had, if I was working with a team, uh, until we had something that people could play, something that people could listen to. With that whether that was a CD or a cassette or a record, that's how we got our our message across. That's how we got our all of our hard work was uh, enjoyed by others, and so. Having that physical thing was the end result. And when I started in photography, I felt the same way. I felt that I wanted to have that print in my hand that I could hold. That was the final outcome. That was the, the, the last step in the process that allowed others to truly experience what you were trying to create. Uh, we know now with computers and uh, digital technology and all that and, and, and uh, uh, viewing displays that it may or may not be exactly what you intend. Everybody's computer monitor is set up differently. People are viewing it on iPads and iPhones. The size can change. The colors can change. The contrast can change. The viewing conditions can change. And so for me, the print is the most the, the truest and the most direct interpretation that I can provide to a viewer uh, without anything coming in between in between that. And so I really enjoy the printing process. And, and also I think when I started some of the photographers that were mentors or inspirations for me or people that I looked up to were, were printing were you know, people like Ansel Adams and Paul Campanigro and were, were making prints and that's how their work was viewed. That's how people saw their work. And so that something was something that stuck with me and, and I've enjoyed it ever since. I, I love holding a print in my hand. For me, that's when I know whether an image works or not. Uh, it's when I hold the print. And so I may go through stuff on my screen and in Lightroom and et cetera. But when I'm, when I'm really getting close to, to thinking, okay, is this print really going to work? I make a print and then I see how it looks. I hang it up. I come back the next day, look at it again without distractions of computers or monitors or things like that. And so, and, and I think it's something that more photographers should practice. I think when you print your work and you look at prints, uh, there's something about that that is more engaging than looking at it on a computer monitor. Again, I have nothing against Flickr and photo sharing sites and all that. We need that, and that's a part of how we share our work today. But for sure, the print, and especially if you're if you're selling fine art, uh, for me when I go when when I do art shows, it's the print that the potential customers are looking at, and that's what they're going to hang in their homes. That's what they're going to purchase. That's what they're going to buy. That's how they're going to experience your work. And so, if that is not absolutely what you intend to you know to to create or uh it, it doesn't really show your intention as a photographer then uh then i think there's a missing piece to the to the to the uh, to the puzzle there yeah well another way that you've shared your work and your insights into photography is is creating this ebook called insights from beyond the lens so tell me about why why do you you decided to create this and what it allows you to do that you don't already do with, you know, with a presence on, on, on the blog and in, through your workshops and, and so on. Sure. Well, I think a, a, a part of it, number one is 
finding other ways to market my work and market myself. So uh, it was driven mostly, I should say mostly, but it was driven in large part by trying to to find more opportunities for myself as a, as a, as a, as a photographer, as an, as an instructor. But the, the other um, motivation was that I wanted to give something back to the community that I learned so much from and helped me to get started. Websites like Luminous Landscape and Michael Reichman and uh, John Paul Caponegro, people that have given so much to the community. I learned so much from them. And so I wanted to contribute to that and share with others. And so that's how I kind of uh, got the idea for the book. Really, I went back and looked at my last three or four years of uh, blog posts and picked out the ones that I thought uh, not only had the most to offer or that I thought had the most to contribute, but also the ones that kind of flowed from one to the next so that it didn't feel disjointed. And then I went back and re-edited them and, and rewrote certain sections of them so that they felt continuous. And it's been really uh, exciting. I, I loved the process. I also made a, uh, a interactive version using iBooks author which is something that just recently became available from Apple. And that was great because I love, love the idea of teaching or sharing with multimedia, not just words, but putting in pictures and galleries and video. I think that that's a whole new potential for photographers for the future, using all these different methods of sharing your work and conveying what, what you're doing and what you're about. And so that was, that, that, that was, is great. And uh, I have a few more, you know, books in the print in the, in the works that uh, I'm looking forward to starting pretty soon. And I'm going to use those same, uh, that same kind of technology because I think it's, uh, it's just great and people have responded to it really well. Well, my last question is that I ask my guests to suggest or recommend another photographer for our listeners to go out and discover and explore. So who would that one photographer be and why? Oh, boy. There are so many that I could talk about. But I, I would say um, one, of the, one of the guys that I, I uh, still am inspired by and learned so much from is Art Wolf. And I think mostly because of his background and his emphasis on using painting as a way to to sort of shape the work that we're doing as photographers. Um, if you look at his body of work, everything from his wildlife to his landscapes to his personality, to his attitude, to his generosity, I think those are things that encompass what a true creative person is and should be. And so even if you've seen his recent work, he's been doing it for so long that there's always something to learn and explore. And so he's one of my, one of my all time uh, favorites uh, and a guy that, you know, I, I try to emulate as, as much as I can. That's great. Well, Robert, where can people find out more about you and, and your work and, and possibly get a copy of this, of this uh, ebook? Sure. Well, my main website is uh, robertrodriguezjr.com. And the ebook is at robertregistrator.com forward slash insights dash ebook. And uh, you can check out the website. You can check out my workshops. You can check out the ebook and, of course, the blog. And uh, hopefully I'll have some more uh, ebooks and resources to share in the future, uh, at least from my perspective. And hopefully it you know it helps someone on their way. We're always trying to, uh, you know, uh, grab bits and pieces from here and there. And so that's the great thing about the technology today and also this community of sharing that uh, I think is, uh, is, is really great in the, in the photo photography world. Oh, well, Robert, thank you for appearing on the show. It was a real pleasure to have a chance to talk with you. Yeah. Thanks everyone. I, I, again, I really appreciate it. And uh, anyway, I can help you in the future with anything. Uh, just, just ask.
The Candid Frame is supported by donations from people just like you. You can help support the work we do here by visiting the website at thecandidframe.com and contributing using PayPal. You can also support the show by writing a review in the iTunes Music Store or by adding a link to the podcast on your website or blog. The editor for this show is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is by Kevin McLeod. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.